as we come to God's word this morning. Father, we just come before you in the name of your son, Jesus. Uh, we want to sit at the feet of your son. We want to be, be taught by you, Jesus. And we love the written word because it leads us to you, Jesus, the living word. And I just pray for each one here this morning, God. I just trust that your, that your spirit has a work that you want to do uh, in each one of our hearts. And so we, we just pray, God, that you'd give us ears to hear you, that you'd give us eyes that see you, that you would open up uh, to our hearts the wonderful things that are in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, we're coming back to the Gospel of Matthew. We've been out of this uh, series for a little bit with me being on holidays and different events going on. And I know Heath took you guys back to uh, a couple of the chapters in Matthew, which was awesome. But we're going to come back to chapter 12 this morning. And um, as we're coming here, I want to remind you that the Gospel of Matthew is different from the other Gospels in this sense that it is a book that is not written in chronological order. And so if you go through it and you're expecting certain things to happen at certain times, it's going to surprise you. Matthew is writing in logical order. He wants to tell us about the kingdom of heaven. He wants to declare to us and have us understand that Jesus is the king of the kingdom of heaven. And it was like five weeks ago since we've been in our series here. And so as we look back here to the end of chapter 11, it closed with these words, this invitation from Jesus that says, Come to, me, all who are, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The offer from Jesus that we saw as we were last in this series was this, rest for the soul. Rest from the burdens of life. And as we come here to, now to chapter 12, the gospel writer is going to string together for us some incidents that tell us about the bitterness and the antagonism that was growing towards Jesus and the message of the kingdom. It was growing from those who felt that they were the guardians of tradition. You know, they were the, the uh, door, doorkeepers of ritual. Those who were in charge of ceremony and tradition and making sure that the T's were crossed and the I's were dotted in terms of uh, following the law. And that was the Pharisees. And what was being given from Jesus was an offer of rest. An offer of lightness of soul, a lightness of burden. And to understand what's going on here and in, in chapter 12 and where we're about to go in this story from Matthew is we have to get this sense of who the Pharisees were. See, essentially Jesus was offering uh, for all people rest for the soul, lightness, lightness of burden. And as he gave that offer, what it did was it trampled on the toes of these religious leaders, these doorkeepers, these uh, you know, guardians of tradition. And it offended them. See, here's the Here's the mind of the Pharisee, and we have to understand this because we've been, I've been really pumping this idea that Matthew's gospel was written primarily to a Jewish audience, for a Jewish audience. And so here's the mind of the Pharisee in response to Jesus, who says, I'll give you rest. So give us rest. Who do you think you are? You're going to offer us rest? Don't you know who we are? We're Jews. We're people unique in the world. Who do you think you are to offer us rest? We have the Sabbath. It's not, you know, 
something that we give to God. The Sabbath is something that God has given to us. Who do you think you are to give us rest? God gave us rest. He gave us a day that we have committed to him. And, we, and that day is for rest and for worship and for connecting with God. And we have freedom from work. What are you talking about lightness of burden and take my yoke upon you? See, the, offend, the, the Pharisees were offended by Jesus. Who do you think you are? That was the mind of the Pharisees. But we know this as we read the gospel accounts and we look back that the Pharisees uh, took that which God had given a day for rest and they turned it, they added burdens to people. They put yokes upon them. They added rules and tradition and laws and all of these things and they took the Sabbath meant for rest and they turned it into a burden. And Jesus said, I'll give you rest. I will give you lightness of burden. And so as we dive into chapter 12, we're going to see here three conflicts that are going to happen with Jesus. So the first has to do with the Sabbath. That's what we're going to look at this morning. The second to do with the source of Jesus' power. And the third, uh, a request from the Pharisees that he perform a miraculous sign for them. And this is a big chapter, Matthew, uh, chapter 12, 1 through 50. And so we just can't, we can't get through all of this conflict in one Sunday. And, you know, conflict takes time to get through. And, um, and so what we're going to do this morning is just look at verses uh, 1 through 21. And next Sunday we'll look at the second and third conflicts um, that Jesus is having with these Pharisees that Matthew's telling us about. You know, when you think about Jesus and his ministry and what we read in the Gospels, at the beginning of his ministry, I mean, things with, with, the, religious leader was all, with the religious leaders was all roses and flowers. I mean, they were quite interested in Jesus. They interacted with him. They sat with him. They asked him questions. They seemed to admire him. They wondered about his identity. And they sought to learn from him. And all of that changed in Capernaum. We saw that in Matthew chapter 9. Where that changed uh, was when there were four friends who brought their paralytic friend up to the roof of the house in Capernaum where Jesus was. And they tore the roof off and they lowered their buddy who was paralyzed down before Jesus and through the ceiling right into the middle of the room and we know the story. Everyone was expecting Jesus to perform a miraculous work but Jesus did something that caught everyone off, by, uh, off guard. He said this to the paralytic man. He said, son, your sins are forgiven you. Son, your sins are forgiven you. And you see, once Jesus claimed the authority to forgive sins, he, he made himself equal with God and the Pharisees kind of started to get roused at that moment. And as you know, the story goes, Jesus says, to, to show you that I have the authority to forgive sins, I, I'll raise this man up. And he said, pick up your mat and walk. And it was from that point on that the break for the Pharisees began in their mind and in their hearts where they began to re reject Jesus. And after that, Jesus, you know, went to the home we saw in Matthew chapter 9. He went to the home of Matthew, the tax collector, and he hung out with the the prostitutes and the sinners and the tax collectors and all of these people. And, and they said, who is this guy? He says he can for, forgive sins. He hangs out with sinners. And the bitterness and the antagonism was escalating. And that's where we find ourselves in Matthew's gospel. And so let's read verses 1 through 21. It says this. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry. And they began to pluck heads of grain to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath. He said to them, 
Have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which it is not lawful for him to eat nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests. Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profaned the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you something greater than the temple is here. And if you'd known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would have not condemned the guiltless, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. He went on from there and he entered their synagogue. And a man was there with a withered hand and they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him? He said to them, Which of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out. And it was restored healthy like the other. But the Pharisees went out and they conspired against him how to destroy him. Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there and followed, and many followed him. And he healed them all and he ordered them not to make him known. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not quench until he brings justice to victory and in his name the Gentiles will hope. Matthew recounts for us two stories. Two stories that have to do with the Sabbath. The first one happens in a grain field. The second one happens in a synagogue. And before we, I guess before we dive into these two accounts, it's, it's important that we note the significance of, of these stories. Because this is why I thought we'll just look at the first conflict and not all three conflicts this morning. See, this is the issue that caused things to boil over. You have to read that in Matthew's gospel. This was the tipping point for the Pharisees. These very things that we read. We, we, don't, we don't think necessarily much of it, you know, but these are the, these are the things that were the tipping point. And I, I guess maybe, maybe as Gentiles, as people that, that don't come from those traditions, we could easily miss this. But the Sabbath, get this, the Sabbath was an issue so significant that for the Pharisees, they determined at this point, this was it. He's done, man. We got to destroy this guy because of the things we just read. We have to destroy him. We, we, ha- we have to kill him. You know, they'd been critical of him previous to this. They had struggled with him. You know, they had struggled with some of the things they'd taught. They, they struggled with some of the things Jesus did. But when Jesus talked about the Sabbath, they said, we have to kill this guy. We have to destroy him. See, the Sabbath, let's get our, let's get our head in the, in the heart of the Jewish people a little bit. The Sabbath is the most sacred of symbols in Judaism. You know, the first, uh, the, today, you know, I've had the, the blessing of getting to go on those Israel trips. You know, it's so fun. And when you travel on the Sabbath, one of the things that I've noticed our tour guide does is that he always schedules certain things so that we end up in parks and different things on the Sabbath. Because even in Israel today, the whole nation shuts down. I mean, 
it's leftovers. It's the only time that you're going to eat leftovers and in the hotel and things like that. One of the jokes that we have when we, when we travel with newbies on one of those trips is to go to the elevator and say, oh no, you go ahead first. Because one of the things they have in Israel is a Sabbath elevator. That means this. You don't have to press any buttons because that would be work. The elevator just automatically stops at every floor. And so if that person's got to go to the 10th floor, you want to usher them on to that particular and then laugh at them as they go, what is going on with this elevator? So in a very unique way, even today, uh, the nation of Israel puts pause, puts rest on the seventh day. God gave the seventh day to Israel as a, as a gift, a physical blessing provided for them. Uh, by God, a symbol of their separation to God. It's not them giving it to God. God gave the Sabbath to them. Do you understand? God gave it to them. And so Matthew tells us, again in verse 1, at that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and they began to pluck heads of grain to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said, look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath. So you can picture it in your mind, Jesus and the crew walking through the fields, feeling the grain as they walk, tummies rumbling. Probably traveling from one community to the next. I imagine that Jesus and the crew had been doing ministry in one community, one village, one town, wherever it was, and they're making their way to the next village. Roads were not common in those days, right? It's more footpaths, trails, and apparently this one meandered through the fields, and the disciples, as they walked, began to pluck heads of grain. They weren't stealing. So they're not breaking the law because they're stealing. This is something that was totally lawful within their culture. Even today, when, when we've been with our guide, Avi, some of you guys know Avi. Avi will just pull over on the side of the road. He'll walk out and take an orange right off a tree, cut it up, say, here, everybody. It's just culture. You can walk and you can take, and no farmers being ripped off. This was provision within the law. And so the disciples, as they're going, are picking heads of grain. They're rubbing them in the palm of their hands, separating the wheat from the kernel and chewing on something to satisfy their hungry tummies until they can get a proper meal. But because it was the Sabbath, the Pharisees said this, hey, these guys are breaking the law. They're working. They're harvesting grain and they're separating the wheat from the chaff and you can't work on a Sabbath. You know, you can't do that. Now my question is, as you read this story, is this, is what were the Pharisees doing in the field? What were they doing there? They were probably breaking their own rules. You know, the laws, the traditions said this, not biblical law, but the traditions of leaders said, you can only walk 3,000 feet from your house on a Sabbath. You have to stay within 3,000 feet. But you know, this is the way of the Pharisee. The Pharisee will always go out of their way to find fault with others and they'll break their own, pro- they'll break their own rules in that process. Isn't it true? The disciples knew that they were doing something that was contrary to the teaching of the Pharisees. But they were with Jesus. They were with Jesus. And they were probably quite aware of Jesus' attitude toward the Sabbath. And and that gave them freedom as they walked to, to pick the grain. And besides all that, they were hungry. They were hungry. And so verse 3 says, He said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests. 
Jesus says this. Haven't you read the scriptures? You know, Matthew records six times that Jesus says that. And every time Matthew, Jesus says that, he refers to a different place in the Old Testament. And he said to the Pharisees on this occasion, don't you know the story of David? Don't you know 1 Samuel 21? You, you got to love that Jesus picks like the hero of the people, King David, the most respected king, the man after God's own heart. The man uh, who had flaws, but whom really his life was defined by his, his heart after God. You know, Solomon may have been magnificent, but Jesus was, uh, but David was the man after God's heart. So he was the ideal for the Israelites. And so, you know, the story, if you don't know the story, it goes like this, that David had been anointed to be the king of Israel. And while he was in the, the waiting process and serving the then king Saul, Saul's anger and his bitterness towards David was growing and raging. And David had a good relationship with Saul's son, Jonathan. And Jonathan warned David of Saul's intentions to harm him. You remember that story? They shot the arrows and he said, go man, my dad is, he's out to get you. And so David fled and he actually went to a town called Nob. That's funny right there. A town called Nob. <laughs> I mean, think about that. How do you refer to a person from Nob? You know, Robert's Creek, we say they're Creekers. What do you call a person from Nob? I guess you just refer to them as a Nob. <laughs> Don't mind the gumboots, that guy's a Nob. A anyways, David came to Nob, and because he had left quickly, the scripture tells us that he brought no food with him, and he was hungry, and so he asked the priest for bread. And the priest said, I don't have any bread. All I have is the bread of the presence. And we're swapping it out. We're putting fresh bread before the Lord. This is consecrated holy bread. But this bread, the old bread's coming out. And it's sacred. And, and so David said, well, give it to me, and I'll eat it. And so David ate this bread and went on, and he was counted as guiltless for eating this bread that was only for priests to eat. And Jesus said to these guys, haven't you read that? And essentially he's saying this, don't you understand that love is more important than the law? Don't you understand that relationship is more valuable than rituals? And it's an interesting selection for Jesus for, for just at that time, you know, in David's story, David was the rejected king of Israel, so to speak. And in Jesus' story, what's happening here? He's being rejected. He is David. He's being rejected by these Pharisees. And I guess the question is, is who's playing the part of Saul in the story? But the Pharisees didn't see that. David was guiltless in what he did. Even though, that he, even though he did what was counted as unlawful by the technicalities of the law by the technicalities and the traditions of the elders, ceremonial rules don't matter, Jesus is saying, when there's bodily need, when there's hunger. David and his men were legitimately hungry, and the disciples were legitimately hungry. They're not just snacking. The scripture says they were hungry. I actually went and looked up the Greek word to see. They were hungry. That's what it means. They were hungry. And, you know, the law of God is rigid, but the ceremonial ritual rules and traditions and things of men are to be flexible. And they don't matter when a person is in need. When a person is 
hungry. It's one of the great mistakes that the church has made over the years, right? We get concerned about the carpet, arguing about hymn books, about stupid, stupid things that don't matter when people have needs. Jesus uses another story to illustrate what he's saying here. Verse 5. Have you not read in the law on the Sabbath how the priests in the temple profaned the Sabbath and they are guiltless? See, think about it. If a priest is working on the Sabbath, he has to work. He, he labors. He goes about sacrificing and pouring out blood and, and doing the works of service so that others can worship and the priest is counted guiltless. It was not considered Sabbath desecration because it was done as service to God. He was working for God. And the sanctity of the place and the sanctity of the work made him exempt. It was like, yeah, it does the rules about how far you can walk and this and that, it doesn't count for the priest because he's serving God. And I'm sure the, the Pharisees thought, you know, how does that compare to you and your disciples, Jesus? We're talking about priests. We're talking about King David, you know. We're talking about a priest servant on the Sabbath. We're talking about the king of Israel. See, that was the whole point of what Jesus was saying. See, Jesus was talking about a king himself, and he was talking about his priests, the disciples. And that's when Jesus said this. I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. Pharisees, what? We're a long ways from the temple. We're up in the Galilee. I tell you something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. You would have not condemned the guiltless. For the son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. Something greater than the temple is here. In other words if, if the priest is free from guilt. Because he's serving God on the Sabbath in the temple. How much more these men that are walking with me through the field. They're hungry and they're here and they are serving me. And I'm the king. I'm King Jesus. And I am greater than the temple. You see, Jesus is everything that the temple symbolized. In Jesus, the Godhead exists. Jesus is, we call the second person of the Trinity. Jesus is the meeting place between God and men. He is greater than the temple. Jesus is the high priest. Jesus is the sacrifice for the sin of all mankind. Anywhere Jesus stands is holy ground. Any work that is done in reference to him is worship like a priest working in the temple. See those poor hungry disciples were his priests. And if they broke Sabbath regulations for his sake, if they did it a hundred times, if they did it a thousand times, if their purpose was to be with Jesus, then they were guiltless. The Pharisees, they were the, the rulers and the teachers of the people and they're criticizing the disciples for breaking the law but they were men speaking out of ignorance, from blindness, men speaking from misunderstanding of the things of God. Jesus said to them, if you actually knew what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, then you would have not condemned these men because they're guiltless. See, God... The son, Jesus, looks for mercy and not sacrifice. That means this. That if you bring a sacrifice to God, whatever it is, maybe it's your tithe. 
Maybe it's some gift that you're giving in some direction. If there is no mercy in your heart along with that gift, that gift is an offense to the God of heaven. Sabbath or no Sabbath, if someone is hungry, you feed them. You know, as those disciples walked through the field with Jesus, the the eyes of the Pharisees were watching, and they were watching not for the purpose of administering mercy, but they they were watching with a heart like the heart of Saul, ready to throw the spear. You know, I've been so challenged in my own life just in this last year to just, for God speaking to me, that I just have a heart of mercy. Always have a heart of mercy. I don't know about you, it's hard to give people the benefit of the doubt sometimes, isn't it? Say, just as I expected from that guy. Whatever it is, whatever the attitude is that we can have in our, God desires us not to have a heart of sacrifice, but a heart of mercy. Not to have Saul's spear in our hand for someone else that God has anointed for a work. Jesus said this, for the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. See, Jesus says, it, it all speaks about me. Turn to the pages of the Old Testament. Read about David. Read all the regulations of the temple. You know, whatever it is. You know, I would say this. When, when you read the scriptures, don't get hung up on all the regulations. Don't get hung up on all the rituals and all the technicalities of the law. It's all shadow that's pointing to Jesus. Read the scriptures and on every page, look for Jesus. Look for Jesus. And Jesus said, he's Lord of all. He's Lord even of the Sabbath. Greater than the temple and Lord of the Sabbath. Now think of the Pharisees for a moment in the midst of all this. He's a man from Galilee. He's a miracle worker. He's a Bible teacher. He's in his early 30s. He is laying claim to that which belongs to God. Do you understand that in the story? Jesus is laying claim to that which belongs to God. Creation, I think of the creation account. where God worked for six days and then God rested and Jesus said this, I am Lord of the Sabbath. What is he saying about his relationship with the Father? He spoke with the authority of the one and only God. And the Pharisees, my friends, they heard it. They heard it. They weren't questioning. When Jesus said he's Lord of the Sabbath, when he said he's greater than the temple, they knew what he was saying and they knew that he was touching the most sacred symbols of their culture, of their faith. And they felt that Jesus was desecrating it. They felt that his disciples were desecrating it and, and, and Jesus said, and I'm master of it. And he vindicated his disciples because they were in fellowship with him like, a, like priests working in, in the temple on the Sabbath. And so you can see why in the heart of the Pharisee, man, the rage was growing. The antagonism, the anger, the bitterness. It says in verse 9, he went on from there and he entered their synagogue. You see that word there? Whose synagogue did he enter? Their synagogue. And I love that wording because it was no longer his. It was no longer his church. It was theirs. It's mine. See, the same thing can happen in church. 
When the church no longer belongs to Jesus and it becomes ours. Jesus is no longer honored and he's no longer worshipped. Just a figurehead. Just a cross at the back of the room or wherever it is. Where in a church we could say, well, we believe in Jesus, but now we're going to get on with the important stuff like doing pig roast and bingo and, you know, whatever it is. The programs, the maintaining. And that is a tragedy. That is a tragedy. My friends, have the heart that when you come here, it's about Jesus. We're here to worship Jesus. Not my church, God forbid. Jesus church. And even though in this story it was no longer his synagogue, Jesus still loved. Jesus still came in. Jesus still didn't give up. He kept on loving. And it says in verse 10, a man was there with a withered hand and they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him? It's a setup. He said to them, which of which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. See, what was the, what was the regulation of the Pharisee? It was no work on the Sabbath. It was, you can't heal a man on the Sabbath. It was actually their law. Here's their law, get this. A man's bleeding out, man. He's dying, bleeding out. They said, you can do this. You can take a tourniquet, you can tie it off, but you can't do anything else. He's going to have to wait out the day. And then you can, you know, apply whatever medical help he needs after that. Like, that was actually their rituals. It's insanity, right? It's insanity. What is that? So there's a man present in the room, in the synagogue. It's a setup. The whole thing's a setup. He's got a withered hand. And the Pharisees asked Jesus, Jesus, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? See, they, they wanted a reason to accuse him, as Matthew tells us. There's, there is malice in the question. There is bitterness. There is accusation in the question. And Jesus answered their question with a question. I always love that about Jesus. And the question that Jesus asked them was this. If you're walking down the road and you see a sheep, actually, not if you see a sheep, if you see your sheep, one that belongs to you. You own it. You're the owner of the sheep. You're walking down the road and you see your sheep and it's fallen into a pit and it's the Sabbath. Will you not take hold of it and lift it out? And Jesus knew the answer as well as they did. When you own a sheep, you care for that which belongs to you and you rescue it. Now Jesus, here in this story, is, is, is not just claiming the Sabbath, but he's doing this. He's claiming the man. If you have a sheep, won't you pull them out of a pit? Well, guess what? I'm a shepherd and I have sheep. I don't care that it's the Sabbath. I'll heal the man. I'm the owner of the Sabbath and I'm the owner of the man. Or I'm the Lord of the Sabbath and I'm Lord of the man. And that man with the withered hand belonged to Jesus. And the scripture tells us Jesus, Jesus came to rescue. Jesus came to save Jesus came to seek that which was lost. And those Pharisees, you know, who would have rescued their own sheep and would have willingly violated the Sabbath to do it would leave a man hurting when they have the ability to, to help. And you know, the supreme 
the supreme work of Sabbath, what's that? That's rest for you and me. When we come into rest, we come into relationship with Jesus Christ and we're given the gift of eternal life and we, we find spiritual rest. The supreme work of those who find rest is to go and seek others that have fallen into the pit. To seek and save the lost. And Jesus is here. It's the Sabbath. The supreme work is to help the man. It's like an act of necessity for Jesus. Someone's hurting? Okay, I'm in. I'm in. And that is, you know, I guess Jesus, it's like, he's saying, that's my man and my heart beats for that guy. And yes, I will help him. And in a moment, you know, actually in a moment in the story, we're going to read that Jesus healed all who came to him. You know, many times in the gospel accounts of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they tell us that Jesus healed every disease, that he healed every sickness. He cast out every demon. Every person who came to him, he helped. Not ever once do we read in the gospel accounts that Jesus turned someone away. His heart was full of mercy and grace for all men and for all women. And the heart of Jesus, I got to tell you, is this. The heart of Jesus is this. He has a heart of mercy for you. He has a heart of mercy for you. A heart of grace and full of love for you. You know, when we say Jesus loves you, that's got to sink right into the depths of your soul. Jesus loves you. His heart for you is a heart of mercy. His heart beats for you. He is not willing that anything should come between you and him. Do you understand that about Jesus? Jesus is not willing that anything should come between you and him. Certainly not the rules of men. He, he's, not, he's not even willing that your sin would be, come between you and him. That's why he died for you on the cross. He doesn't want anything between you and him. The parts of your life that are withered and shrunk up like, like, like this man in the synagogue with the withered hand, Jesus wants to heal. If you've fallen into a pit, if in life you've fallen into a pit, I'll tell you this about Jesus. He's not going to pass by. He's not going to just walk on by. He will pull you out. He will pour out mercy. He will heal in his grace. He gives rest to all that come to him. Come to me, those who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, for my burden is light and my, my burden is easy and my yoke is light. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out and it was restored healthy like any other. You know, that's beautiful. You know, Jesus tells this man to do something that is impossible. He tells him to do something that he can't do. If he could stretch out his hand, he would have stretched it out long ago. And the man could have said, stretch out my hand, I can't. I, don't you know that? Look at it. I can't stretch out my hands. But he didn't. He simply obeyed the word of Jesus. 
He obeyed the word of the Lord. He obeyed and he was healed. See, there is power in the word of God. We act on what the word of God says. God's word says it, we, we obey it. You know, we say, well, I don't know, it's impossible. Look, where God guides, God provides. <laughs> With God's commandments is the power to follow through. He enables us. And so what happened to the Pharisees in the midst of this whole scene as the man stretched out his hand? Verse 14 tells us, but they went out and they conspired against him how to, how to destroy him. See, he claimed to be the Lord of the Sabbath, the owner of man. He essentially said, as God, as God, as king, as king in the pattern of David, as the high priest, as Lord of the Sabbath, as the one who is greater than the temple, I have the right to do whatever my heart pleases and whatever love leads me to do. There's somebody hurting. I'm going to help him. You know, think of the Pharisees again. They went out and they spired against, conspired against him. You know that heart from them. Who are you, Jesus, to offer us rest? Who are you? And that was the problem. They didn't understand who he was. Verse 15 tells us that Jesus, aware of, aware of this, aware of all that they were conspiring, withdrew from there and many followed him and he healed them all. Left the synagogue, headed out of there. The crowds flocked with him. They flocked to him. It was still the Sabbath and Jesus just went on breaking the rules. Healed, 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 healed. I love that. It just, just went on. I'm going to break all your rules, man. Watch this. Watch me break this one. Oh, yeah, you're healed. Leper up. Uh, you know, just, just cheeky. I love that about Jesus, you know. Healed them all. See, my friends, what this story tells us is this, is that Jesus is life. If you don't know this about Jesus, if you don't know Jesus this morning, you need to know Jesus is life. To know him and to know God the Father is life. The scripture says that is actually eternal life. I love that because when we talk about eternal life, we often think that eternal life is something that we're going to enter into when we pass from this life into the next. No, eternal life is something that you enter into the moment you come into a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Knowing Jesus is life. And, and because of that, Jesus is worth following. Jesus is worth following. That's worth an amen. Jesus is worth following. Amen? He, Jesus is worth leaving everything because of the life that you will find in the person of, of Jesus. You know, Matthew tells us in verse 16, this prophecy from Isaiah. First, it tells us a little bit about Jesus. And he ordered them not to make him known. Verse 17, this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold my servant, whom I have chosen, my beloved with, with whom my soul is well pleased, I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. Did Jesus quarrel with the Pharisees? No, he just did good. Did he yap back? No, he just said, 
went on healing people, said, keep it quiet. Don't pass it on. It is what it is. I'm going to do good to you. He did not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. Verse 20, a bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench. Until he brings justice to victory, and in his name, the Gentiles will hope. Is Jesus your hope? Do you hope in the name of Jesus? You know, everybody has hope. Everyone has hope. I'm an old metalhead. I don't know if I told you that. I like hardcore, like rock and music. And um, I, there's this, this band that I've been listening to. They're called White Lighter. And uh, they're awesome guys. Uh, some of the old members of a, The Crucified, an old punk band from the 90s. And there's this song that, they've been, that I've been listening to that he says this. He says in the song, I sleep like the child I am. I sleep like the child I am. We all have hope. The only difference is I know where mine comes from. Do you know where your hope comes from? My friends, there is a name that you can put your hope in. The name of Jesus. The name of Jesus. And when you put your hope in Jesus, there's a rest that will come upon your life that cannot be explained. A peace that surpasses all understanding that will guard your mind and it will guard your heart and it will transform your life. See, the prophet Isaiah, hundreds of years before, prophesied about Jesus and he said the spirit of God will be upon him. Justice will come from him. Justice will come to the Gentiles through him. He won't have to strive. You know men strive. Men strive and they do things to draw attention to themselves. Not Jesus. He won't have to. He won't have to strive to draw any attention to himself. He'll, he, he'll blend into the world so much that it'll take a kiss in the garden of Gethsemane to even identify him. We're talking about a man who had healed and fed and taught thousands and they could not even identify him without a kiss in the garden because there was such humility and such grace upon his life and the scripture tells us Isaiah prophesied that a bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not quench. You know, there's not much to a reed. I don't know if you, you know, when I was a kid, I used to pick the bulrushes out of the ground and beat my brother with them. And, um, you know, a reed is not something that's, there's not much to it, really. You know, one good whack on your brother and then the thing's kind of wrecked. And <laughs> um, a reed in and of itself is naturally weak. And so when it gets bruised, when it just gets a little kink in it, it's finished. You know what happens. Just the weight of a, think of a bulrush, it just folds in half. You've all seen the pictures and the paintings or seen them on the side of the road. Isaiah is saying this. When a person is bruised, when they're going over, when life has bruised them, Jesus will not come and say, done with you. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick. You know what that means? It's a, it's a picture of the flame going out, man. Life is leaving. Light is dimming. The smoldering wick's just hanging off. You're hanging on. You know, everything good about that wick has been used up. And Isaiah said, he won't, he won't quench it. Not Jesus. 
He won't snuff it out. And you know, you may feel like that life has left you bruised. You may feel like life is being snuffed out of you, that the light is going out. Then you need to hear this truth about Jesus this morning and all that we've seen about him in the scriptures. That he is greater than the temple. That he is Lord of the Sabbath. That he is owner of man and that his heart towards you is mercy. Do you need help this morning? Do you need help in some area of your life? We say, I just need help. I need God to meet me in this place. I'm telling you, Jesus is here and he'll tell you, stretch out your hand. Come to me in faith in the midst of that. You know, this morning, I want to give the opportunity for uh, just you to respond to salvation, to the message of Jesus. You know, maybe... You're here. I'm actually going to ask you to stand in a moment if you want to invite Jesus Christ into your heart and into your life to be the Lord of your life. Just stand in just a moment. You know, the gospel's incredible. It's an incredible story of God's love. And you need to know this about Jesus, this, this offer that is from him that he says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's a promise that comes with a guarantee that if you come to me, I will give you rest. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your soul for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know, serving Jesus is just a joy. And it's a place of rest. And you need to know the message of the gospel that, that is this. That Jesus was so, so in love with you. So committed that nothing should separate you from him. That the Bible tells us that he gave his life on the cross. To deal with that which was separating you from him. To deal with your sin. To deal with death in your life. And Jesus took the punishment for your sin. He took it upon himself. He was broken in his body. He shed his blood for the forgiveness of sin. He died on that cross. He was taken from that cross and he was buried in a tomb. And three days later, he was raised from the dead to show his victory, the victory of the work that he had done. See, this man who we read about this morning who claimed to be Lord of the Sabbath and owner of man and greater than the temple and all of these things went on and did the work of a high priest and made a sacrifice but he gave his own life as a sacrifice no one took it from him he willingly gave it for you